0: It is good to be back with you once again, and good to be back in God's Word. As Rod already said this morning, this is our last installment in our Forward in Faith series from the life of Abraham. So we are here at kind of the pinnacle of Abraham's story. It's a very familiar story from Scripture in Genesis chapter 2 about how God called Abraham to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. So perhaps you've heard this story before, perhaps not. But my encouragement to all of us this morning is that we would be reminded that God can be trusted. And what an appropriate song that we sang just a moment ago uh, to remind us that, look, oftentimes the Lord calls us to walk in pathways that perhaps we wouldn't have chosen. Anybody got... A area in your life where God is calling you right now and it's not super comfortable anybody right. okay rest of y'all are liars <laughs> or dead you might be zombies that's that's possible because the Lord often calls us to walk a path that that is tough yeah. but what we're reminded of from that song and from that story in Abraham that God is irrevocably committed to your good yeah. if you are God's child he is irrevocably committed to your good. And I hope this morning that we all walk away from here saying, I can trust the Lord. Yeah. Not because he leads me in ways that I like, but because he is trustworthy in the midst of leading me through difficult paths. So let's pray, ask for the Lord's help in the next few moments. Father, we pause, we worship. We give you glory, we give you praise that you are a faithful God. You don't quit, you don't fail, you don't go weary, but you are committed to your people's good. Oh God, help us to lean into your word this morning. Speak, speak, Lord. We need to hear your voice We need to hear the voice of the Good Shepherd this morning, so I pray you would hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ, exalt your name, care for your people, draw sinners to yourself, do what you alone can do in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. The title of the message today is simply Jehovah Jireh, and you'll see why as we press through this text. Now, there is a cultural phenomenon that I have no doubt with which many of you fami- are familiar with, and it is simply this, the notorious unreliability of, that's right, McDonald's ice cream machines. How many of you have experienced this before? That's right. McDonald's ice cream machines are so unreliable that if you go out to the interwebs, there is actually a website aptly called McBroken, and it- It traces where all the broken ice cream machines are. Now, if you've ever been in a line in the drive-through and you're getting ready to go and have an ice cream at McDonald's, a couple of thoughts undoubtedly have gone through your mind. You pull into the drive-through and you think, I wonder if this thing is going to be open. And you say things like this, it's probably not gonna work. Probably not gonna work. what am I going to get when it doesn't work? You ever said that? Like, okay, here I am in the drive-thru. I want ice cream, but it's probably not going to work. Is french fries okay? Or, or, or maybe even why do I even come here in the first place, which is probably the wisest course of action, right? I bring this up. It's a silly illustration, obviously, but because I fear sometimes we can start to treat the Lord that way. I don't mean to be irreverent, but sometimes we think of the Lord like we think of a McDonald's ice cream machine, like He's unreliable. We wonder whether He's going to work or not. We wonder if maybe God is not caring or not watching us. Who of us have not thought things like this before? We find ourselves in a position of need or distress and say things in our heart like this, like, I wonder if God cares about me. I'm really not sure God's going to answer my prayers on this. Maybe God doesn't even know. Is he good? Is he loving? Can I trust him? We all have at times asked those questions about the Lord and acted as if God is unreliable. Can you identify? Perhaps that's the posture of your heart even this morning. You have a need in your life, an area of brokenness, and somewhere down in your heart, you're wondering, will God really show up in this circumstance the reality is is part of our brokenness part of the way our fall hits us is this it is easier easier for us to have doubt like a uh, i'm sorry let me get this line right it is easier for us to doubt god like a cynic than depend on god like a child it is easier for us to doubt god like a cynic then depend on God like a child. Can we be honest? Do you ever approach the Lord a little bit cynically? A little bit like, I don't know, I'm not sure. Maybe he'll help, maybe not, I don't know. Is he really that trustworthy? Now I have no doubt this is a temptation that Abraham faced in Genesis chapter 22. But in order to see why Abraham probably faced that, we need to back up and get a little bit of context. We meet our protagonist Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. When his name isn't Abraham, it's actually what? Abram. The name Abram actually means exalted father. Now that would have been tough enough in and of itself because Abraham's seven years old and how many kids he got? Zero. So he's like introducing himself at parties. Hey, my name's Abram. You got any kids? Nope, none. I mean, it's it's a little bit like embarrassing in and of itself. And then then God actually does one better. He ups the ante, as it were. And you get over to Genesis chapter 17, and the Lord says to Abram this, your name will no longer be Abram, your name will be Abraham. Ouch. I mean, now Abraham is 99 years old, and how many children does he have? Zero. So now he's at parties, and he's like, hey, Uh, my name's Abraham. Hey, didn't your name used to be Abram? Well, yeah, God changed it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. I mean, you can almost hear Abraham saying when God says, your name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham. Seriously, Lord? Like, you're going to do this to me? I mean, 25 years, almost 30 years have passed, and I've been waiting. My name was Abram, which means exalted father. And now you're calling me Abraham, father of a multitude, and I ain't got no kids. And Lord, if you're paying attention, I'm old. But then God, in his mercy and grace, does something impossible. Genesis 21, verse number 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. So Abraham is a hundred years old and becomes a father. After decades of anticipation, the wait is finally over. God kept his promise. Abraham is now a father. But the story's not quite over. Years passed. A couple more decades passed, no doubt. And God shows up and again speaks to Abraham. The text actually tells us that God tested Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, verse number one. After these things, God tested Abraham. And what a test it was. As you probably know, in this story that we just read, God asked Abraham to give up the very son that he had waited for decades for. So God gives Abraham the son after all of these years, and then God has the audacity, has the boldness in one sense to say to Abraham, now give me that son back. Why would God do this? What what is happening here? Is God just mean? Is he spiteful? Is he just vindictive? I don't think so. I believe God called Abraham to offer up Isaac because he intended to teach Abraham and us a timeless principle, namely this, God's faithfulness is unfaltering. That's the lesson that God is trying to teach us through this passage. God's faithfulness is unfaltering. In other words, no matter what things look like around you, no matter how you feel, No matter the circumstances that you find yourself in, no matter the brokenness out there, no matter the brokenness in here, God will always be faithful to his people. His faithfulness is unfaltering. Which leads me to my point this morning. It's simply this. We must always trust the Lord. If he's always faithful, then we should always trust him. If he never fails, then we can always put our confidence and our hope in him. He will never let us down. In fact, we see this very plainly in Genesis chapter 22. Now, if you've been with us over the last several weeks and heard Rod and I preaching through this series, in most of the messages, Abraham has kind of failed rather dramatically. He's fumbled and bumbled his way through life, and God has just kept upholding him and sustaining him, but not here in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, this is Abraham's finest hour. Somehow, someway, through all these lessons that God has been teaching him through the earlier chapters, Abraham finally lives up to the nomenclature that he's given in the New Testament as the father of our faith. We see Abraham's faith shining as a bright, bright beacon of hope in this passage, and it It helps us understand why the New Testament authors often commend Abraham for his faith. Because in this passage, Abraham absolutely nails it. He trusts God with this unflinching, unwavering faith. So what I want to examine this morning is what it is about Abraham's faith that makes it so commendable. So two points, very simply this morning, the characteristics of commendable faith. The first one is this. Faith, commendable faith, faith that God is honored by, faith trusts God more than feelings. Faith trusts God more than feelings. This chapter begins with God once again speaking audibly to Abraham. Look at the text again, Genesis 22, verse number one. Abraham, here am I, Abraham answered, take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, You know whom you love go to the land of moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains i will tell you about these words must have hit abraham like a punch in the gut can you put yourself there for a moment you've waited all these years for this son god gave you this heir And then God says, Abraham, you know that son Isaac, your only son, the one who you love? I want you to go and sacrifice him. I mean, if you were Abraham, you would have felt like throwing up in that moment. Like, what just happened? I'm trying to honor the Lord. I'm trying to be faithful to him. I'm trying to follow him. And now God says, I want the son. God, you gave me this son. Why would you want him back? Abraham had literally waited decades and now God was seeming to take it all away. Do you think Abraham's emotions were all over the place? What are some of the things Abraham would have been feeling in that moment? Anger. Fear sorrow, confusion. I mean, he just would have been, his heart would have been running a hundred miles a minute in 10,000 different directions. So what did Abraham do with this tangled web of emotions that he was no doubt experiencing? Verse number three. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took his two young men with him and his son Isaac. He split the wood for the burnt offering, and he set out to go to the place that God had told him about. He obeyed. His emotions are everywhere, no doubt. And what does Abraham do? He simply does what God called him to do. Now listen, I am confident that Abraham didn't understand it, I am confident that Abraham did not like it. And yet what? He did it. He didn't like it. He didn't understand it. But he did exactly what God called him to do, which teaches us something very critical. Listen to the statement. Living by faith means allowing God's voice to be the loudest in your life. Listen. Living by faith means allowing God's voice to be the loudest in your life. Hey, do you have some voices in your life? Is our culture saying some certain things? Does your heart say some certain things? Do you have friends and family members? Do you have lots of voices speaking into your life? The question is, what is the loudest in your life? If we are to live by faith, the loudest voice in our lives must be the voice of God himself. The word of God is what determines which way we should go, not how we feel primarily about something. Let me give you an example from US history. When Pearl Harbor was bombed in the United States in 1941, Um, the United States entered the war. And you know what? 6.5 million Americans volunteered to fight in that conflict. They, They weren't enlisted. They weren't conscripted. They just said, sign me up. I'm going. Now, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you think those people that volunteered to serve, do you think they had some fears in their heart? Yes or no? Absolutely. They're going to war. There's some fears in their heart. Do you think they had a little bit of residence? Uh, res- What's the word I'm looking for? Yes, reservations. That's not it, but. Reticence. reticence. There we go. Reticence with the T. Residence. No, they didn't have any of that. Um, reticence about leaving their friends and family behind. Yes or no? Do you think they even may have been like a little bit conflicted about, is this the right thing? I mean, i got to take care of my family or I'm just starting out on my life. Like, is it right for me to go over there and fight? Do you think they had this tangled web of emotions in their heart? Yes or no? And yet in the droves, they went. Why? Because even though they had these emotions, there was another voice. That they said, this, this conviction that I should go and fight is more important than all of these other voices. This is exactly what Abraham did. Abraham had all of these emotions racing in his heart. God, why would you do this? This makes me angry. God, why would you do this? This makes me sad. God, why would you do this? I'm heartbroken. God, why would you do this? This doesn't seem consistent with your character. I'm confused. And yet, he said it. And so Abraham said, I will Do what the Lord said. The voice of God was the loudest voice in Abraham's life. At some point, Abraham had determined that God, listen, was more trustworthy than his feelings. So when God said to Abraham, leave Ur, what did he do? He packed his bags. When God said to Abraham, stay in the promised land, just this kind of a desert, there's no place to live, what did Abraham do? He pitched a tent. And when God said to Abraham, give me your son, what did Abraham do? He saddled his donkey. It's not that Abraham didn't have feelings. It's not that how Abraham felt was unimportant. But it's that Abraham didn't allow his feelings to be the chief factor in the way that he moved forward. And if we are to live by faith, the same must be true of us. Listen to this principle. Faith-filled decisions are driven more by God's promises than our passions. Faith-filled decisions are driven more by God's promises than our passions. And I believe this is a needed reminder for us in the culture in which we live. Because the message of our culture is things like this. Follow your, follow your heart. Or you got to tell them how you really, or you got to do what makes you. It's not that these things are completely wrongheaded in and of themselves. But if friends, we consistently live by our feelings, we will never mature in our faith. If we consistently live by our feelings, our feelings is our North Star, our feelings are our compass, we will never mature in our faith. I don't mean to be unkind, but let me ask you this question. Who are people that that generally live by their feelings? They're called children. Right? My toddler does whatever she feels like. She is governed by her passions, and therefore, she is immature. And if we are to be mature followers of Jesus, it's not that your passions don't matter. It's not that you shouldn't pay attention to them. It's just they're not reliable guides for behavior. Your feelings are critical, but they are not reliable guides for behavior. Many of you have heard me share this illustration before. I'm going to share it again because I can't improve upon it our feelings are less like a GPS and more like gauges on the dashboard, right? Are gauges on the dashboard important? Yes or no? If your gauge is going all over the place, should you pay attention to that? What should you do? You should go check under the hood. But if one of my gauges goes like this, does that mean turn right? If I do so, what's going to happen? I'm in the ditch. Because a gauge is not designed to give me directions, a gauge is to tell me what's going on. That's what your feelings operate in, in many senses. They're gauges, they're really critical, they're really important. You can't just take a sticky note and cover them up. You need to pay attention to what's going on. If your heart's all over the place, pay attention, just don't do exactly what it says. For that, we need a GPS. We need the directions of God's word to tell us which way to go. And in a sense, if my gauges are bouncing everywhere else, it doesn't change which way my destination is going. We need to allow the Word of God to give us direction in our lives. Our feelings are important, but they are not reliable guides for behavior. That is why the Bible says things like this. God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's why over in Psalm 19, the psalmist says this, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the experience wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord is reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. In addition, your servant is worthy, By then, and in keeping them, there is abundant reward. What is the psalmist saying? Listen to God's word. If we are to live by faith, it's not that our feelings are unimportant, but we listen to God and trust Him more than we do our feelings. Abraham did not allow his fluctuating gauges to lead him astray but rather allowed the voice of God to guide his steps. He didn't always understand or enjoy why God called him where he called him, but that is part of what it means to live by faith. We let God be God and we be his people. Number two, faith not only trusts God more than our feelings, but faith trusts God with our future. When God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son, he wasn't just asking Abraham to give up something near and dear to him. That was true for sure. But if you remember, he was asking Abraham, in a sense, to put his future completely in the hands of God. If you remember the story, well, God had time and time again promised Abraham that his legacy would come through Isaac. Look over in Genesis chapter 17, verse number 19, Abraham saying, Ishmael, Ishmael, would the Ishmael live before the Lord? And God says to him, no, 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 Abraham, your wife, Sarah, she will bear you a son and you will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for the future offspring. And now God is saying, hey, you know that son that I promised everything to flow through? I want you to let that go, Abraham. I want you to go up that mountain and sacrifice him to me. So how did Abraham, like, how did he stop from being just absolutely crippled in that moment? How did he move forward, even though God was asking him, in one sense, to mortgage his whole future? Well, we get a clue in the story, several of them, actually. So Abraham and Isaac are starting to make their journey up the mountain, and Isaac, being an observant young man, looks around and he notices something profound. Look at Genesis 22, verse number seven. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Dad, hey, I know what we're going to do. We're going to sacrifice. I see wood, I see fire, no lamb. And Abraham responds with faith. Look at what it says, Genesis 22, verse number eight. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, was this Abraham being disingenuous or just some sort of wishful thinking? I don't think so. I think Abraham actually believed that God was going to do a miracle. You say, where do you get that? Well, he says something again in Genesis chapter 22, verse number five. So Abraham and Isaac are getting ready to leave the servants behind. And they start on their path up the mountain. And he says to his servants this, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over here to worship. Look at this. Then we will come back to you. So it seems that even on this journey, Abraham is believing that God is going to do something incredible. This is bold faith. What's happening Well, fortunately for us, the author of Hebrews gives us a snapshot into Abraham's heart. Look at what it says. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Notice what Abraham's thinking here. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. In other words, as Abraham made the journey up that mountain, he full well believed that Isaac was coming back with him because God would raise him from the dead. One commentator speculated on what Abraham must be thinking and I find it difficult to improve. So here's the internal dialogue. God is not a liar. He cannot be mistaken. He told me beyond question that I should have a son. And there that son is before me. God has said that this son would be the one through whom he would fulfill all these promises. Therefore, this son must live, or God will be found false. Since there is no contradiction in God, and there is only one answer that my mind can fathom, God is going to perform a miracle and raise Isaac from the dead. This is always how faith reasons. Always. It takes God's promises more seriously than any other factor. In the calculus of faith, God's faithfulness is always greater than our fears. In the calculus of faith, God's faithfulness is always greater than our fears. Abraham didn't know exactly what was going to happen on that mountain. Abraham didn't know how God was going to save Abraham or Isaac. Abraham did not know how he would see God's covenant fulfilled or when that would happen. But what Abraham knew was this, God was going to keep his word. He was confident of that. And this remains true for us. No matter how uncertain your future, no matter how dark your prospects No matter how daunting your tomorrow, listen to this church, God will keep his word. Mark it down. God will keep his word. He will continue to work for your good. And we know that in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him to those who have been called according to his promises. We know that God will continue to build his church. Jesus himself says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. He will continue to extend this gospel. This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And he will continue to keep everyone who trusts in him. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, though the future is often scary, God is always faithful. As you look at your future it may be uncertain it may be scary but write this down in stone God will keep his word but the story's not quite done yet finally after an agonizing walk up the mountain Abraham and Isaac reached their destination At some point, Abraham had to tell Isaac what was going on, because by this point, scholars speculate exactly how old Isaac was. He's probably like a late teenager, up to 30. I mean, this guy could have got away from his father, no problem. He's not a little boy, he is a man or man-ish person. So they go up, and apparently Abraham shares with Isaac what's going on. They get up to the moment of sacrifice. Maybe Isaac is bound, maybe not, I don't know. He's laying on the altar, and Abraham prepares to do the deed. And something wonderful happens. Genesis 22, verse number 10, Then Abraham reached out, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham... Abraham, he replied, here am I. Then he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. The test was over. Abraham had passed. He had shown unbelievable faith in God, but the story wasn't over. Look at the next verse. Abraham looked up. And he saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, look, and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. It is then that Abraham recognizes what was going on with the whole story, what God intended to show him the whole time. Genesis 22, verse number 14, and Abraham named the place the Lord will provide. That's God's name, Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. So today it is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. (laughs) The Lord called Abraham up that mountain. The Lord said, sacrifice your son to me, Abraham, so that God could demonstrate to Abraham in unique and powerful ways that he is the provider. Sadly, today, when we talk about the provision of God, oftentimes we limit it. We limit it to God's, like, financial provision in our life. Or we limit it to God's provision of food on our tables. And does God provide finances? Yes or no? Yes. And does God provide food? Yes or no? And is it appropriate to thank Him for those things? Absolutely. But that's not what this story is about. Abraham doesn't need food. Abraham doesn't need money. I mean, frankly, he's rich. Abraham's not lacking for those things at this moment. So why does he call the place Jehovah-Jireh? I think the reason is, is because Abraham understood what God was intending to teach him. Namely this, God is showing Abraham that he can be trusted to meet our deepest need. Church, God can be trusted to meet your deepest need need. Listen, but God's provision for Abraham on that mountain was meant actually to point us to an even greater provision that God would make on that mountain, not just for Abraham, but for humanity. You see, millennia later, another father would lead his one and only son the son who he loved, up the mountain. Only this time there would be no ram in the thicket. For the son was the fulfillment of Abraham's word, Genesis 22, verse number 8, God himself will provide the lamb. So unlike Abraham, the heavenly father let the knife fly. He didn't hold it back from his one and only son, and on the cross, Jesus, Jesus laid down his life to be the atoning sacrifice, not just for Abraham, but for anyone and everyone who would ever to dare to put their hope in him. You see, the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus are meant to teach us that no matter how deep your need, God's provision is always sufficient. Jehovah Jireh doesn't just put money in our pockets or food on our table Jehovah Jireh meets the deepest need of the human heart Listen So if you need forgiveness Jehovah Jireh will give you cleansing If you need belonging Jehovah Jireh will give you a home If you need purpose, Jehovah Jireh will give you meaning. If you are lost, Jehovah Jireh will provide belonging for you. He is the God who provides. And in order to show us just how willing he is... To meet our deepest need, He did the most sacrificial and generous thing in all of human history. He gave His one and only Son, the Son who He loved, to meet you in your deepest distress and need. As the old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Morning by morning... New mercies I see. Now catch this part. All. All I have needed. Thy hand hath, what's it say? Provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Our deepest need has been met on Mount Calvary. Where the loving Heavenly Father did not hold back the knife but allowed it to fall on his son, so that in our place, Jesus could bear the wrath of God, so that people like you and I could be brought into the family and receive belonging, and receive forgiveness, and receive cleansing, and receive grace, and receive mercy, because there is a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Listen, friends, you can trust God. You know, in the, um, in the Narnia series, there's a story about Aslan. And um, one of the children says something like this, is he a tame lion? (laughs) And the beaver, who happens to be the spokesman so much of the time says tame who said anything about tame oh no he's not tame but he is good God is not tame he will take you some places you don't want to go he may lead you up your own Mount Moriah right he may take you through some dark valleys He may ask you to do some things that you don't like and you don't understand. He is not tame. Our God will not be domesticated. But friends, he's good. You can trust him. He took Abraham up that mountain, and I'm sure Abraham was in his heart raging all the way. And yet he said, God, you know better, more than my feelings. God, you know better, more than my future, I can put myself in your hands because you are a trustworthy God. I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to put your hands in the one who's not safe. No, he is not safe, but he is good. Trust him with your feelings and your fears and trust him with your future because he can be trusted. I want to do two things as we conclude this morning first thing is this I want to invite us to adore this faithful God has God been faithful to you yeah I mean can you look back at things in your life where God showed himself strong so I want to start right now by with some folks around you find two or three people around you and I want to adore God don't ask God for anything right now just begin to say God you are faithful I want to I invite you. Maybe you to start your prayer like this: Lord, you have been faithful to me. By, can you do that? Yeah. So just about thirty seconds with folks around you. God, you have been faithful to me. By. Then I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you one more set of instructions. Let's pray. Let's adore the Lord right now. You have been faithful to us by inviting us into your family. You have been faithful to us by giving us new mercies every morning. Lord, you are faithful and we adore you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I want to ask you to do one more thing. We want to adore the Lord for his faithfulness, but we want to acknowledge that we continue to need God's faithfulness. And I want you to begin a prayer like this, God, I acknowledge I need you to be faithful in my life in. I need you to be faithful in my life in. And just take a minute and pray with those around you. Then we'll worship the Lord one more time together. Let's pray. I need you to be faithful in my life in. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are not just the Father, you are not just a helper, but you are a provider, you're a comforter, you're the reason why we have the breath of life in our lungs. You are Jehovah Jireh, you're our provider, you're the one who watches us in the morning. You're the one who watches us as we rest. You watch us when we are led astray. and You come and you seek and you find us with your love, Lord. So we thank you for being Jireh. We thank you for being everything that we need, Lord. We thank you for being everything that we need, Lord, for being more than enough for us. Come on and stand and worship with us one more time.